I think it's really quite amazing to read the Good Samaritan parable and hear the words of Jesus 2,000 years ago in a society where the many of the principles we take for granted today didn't exist. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is what existed. And that's why the parable, this story, was so radical in its telling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Our goal is to help you grow in your faith. A strong faith is the foundation for every good thing in your life. It guides you through tough times. It encourages you every single day. And a strong faith will make the good times even better because it is faith that brings life meaning. Your faith is the primary factor in growing emotionally strong, and it gives you guidance on how to love the most important people in your life. It keeps your relationships healthy, and it helps you avoid toxic ones. So we are here to help you grow a strong and powerful faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the salty pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome everybody. Boy, I like that phrase where you said that it helps keep your relationships healthy and avoid toxic ones. Yes, that's absolutely. what faith is all about. And so we're here to help you grow your faith so that you know what you believe and why you believe it. Absolutely. And we are in the midst of our moral of the story series, which is all about the various parables that Jesus told. And I know I've really been enjoying them because they're so applicable. And once you kind of understand what they're about, he is speaking such great Mm. truth into our lives, right? Mm. And we are moving on to a new one this week, and we are going to be digging into the parable of the good Samaritan. Mm. This is one of the most popular parables in Christianity, and its lessons are pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Our hope is that today during the Salty Pass podcast, you'll discover how radical this parable was during the first century when it was told. Because nowadays you think of the phrase good Samaritan and you're like, oh, that person's a good Samaritan. And it's just sort of nomenclature that we have that we don't even think about. But it had very different connotations back in those days. So talk to us a little bit about that. You know, so many of the principles that we take for granted today in America did not exist at all in the first century. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the the principles or values about, hey, we accept people regardless of their race or their ethnicity and everybody should have the same opportunity or chance. We don't judge people by the color of their skin or their accent or anything at all. It's about, well, you know, are are you a good person and do you work hard and you take responsibility for yourself? Well, these types of ideas are pretty new. Mm. I mean, when you look at, you know, anywhere from Eight to 10,000 years of human history, probably 7,000 of recorded human history, is that, you know, you have about 240 years of that, right? And even, right. even I don't, you can't even say that America was that way no. in its inception, right? Not at all. And so maybe uh, if we're really going to have a high estimate, 100 years worth of this ideal, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really quite amazing to read the Good Samaritan parable and hear the words of Jesus 2,000 years ago in a society where the many of the principles we take for granted today didn't exist. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is what existed. And that's why the parable, this story, was so radical in its telling. 
Yeah, let me let's read through it and then you can kind of give us some context and help us understand okay. why it was so radical. We're starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came by and he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an end, took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell to the robber's hands? And the man said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Mm. Well, I think it's really important as we dig into this to just kind of try to get the flavor of what's happening in this event, this circumstance. And so the setting is a lawyer, right? Okay. So this is a person who is like a scribe. They, and you have to understand is that Jewish law in first century was not just religious law. It was the law. It was the law. Yeah. So, uh, some people would say, well, it's kind of like, well, if I become a Lutheran or a Catholic or, or a Muslim or whatever, they have a bunch of laws or a bunch of rules that you're supposed to follow, right. To be a part of their religion. But then I, I can go home and do whatever I want. Right. Well, it didn't work that way at all. The, the law there was religious and social wrapped together. So if you wanted to get married, if you wanted to sell a piece of property, if you wanted a contract, if you wanted an agreement, if you wanted to buy something that was expensive, if, I mean, all of this stuff was done by lawyers. And so what this lawyer was doing is he wasn't just saying, do he's trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus to reveal this, um, that he didn't have a high regard for the law, not just the religious law, but the social law as well. And in doing so, if he get Jesus to kind of show that he was like a revolutionary or he didn't, you know, respect the law, then the entire leadership and society, whether it be Roman or Jewish, could cancel him, basically. Oh, we're here to cancel Jesus. Uh, ultimately, they did try to cancel him, you know. Mm. Uh, but however, it's really interesting because Jesus actually reverses the trap on the guy. And that's what's so interesting. But he doesn't do it in a mean way or a critical way. He does it in, he backs him into a corner where he has to actually admit, you know, that Jesus is... Right. And what does he have to admit? Well, here, let's talk about the characters. First of all, you have a Jewish man. Okay. And this Jewish man is set on by thieves, is robbed, beaten half to death. There's a priest, there's a Levite and a Samaritan. So the point is, is that you have the victim, which is the man. And then you have a priest, a Levite and a Samaritan. What's significant in 
that? Well, first and foremost, you have to understand the incredible hatred and animosity that existed between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. First and foremost, they were at each other's throats. And not only did they never interact or speak to each other, which we know this in John, where Jesus meets the woman at the well, right? He addresses her and she goes, well, how are you, a Jew, addressing me, a Samaritan? In other words, if they were in the same room, they wouldn't even speak to each other. They're on the road. They're by the, the well. They're by, they wouldn't even speak to mm. each other. So it was a complete segregation, right. right, is what it was. And why is that? Why did they have such animosity towards each other? Why, did, why were they segregated? You know, if you went into uh, a town, they would have a Samaritan well and a Jewish well. You know, Jews could eat at this place. Samaritans had to eat at a different place. I mean, it very, sounds very much like segregation. In the both, South, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Tremendous animosity between them. They wouldn't even speak to each other. Why? Well, the reason why is because Samaritans were intermixed. And when you read the Old Testament, one of the things that God complained to the Jewish people a lot all the time is that they would intermarry mm-hmm. with other races. And then... It, those races would bring their gods into the marriages, and then what would happen is the Jewish people would no longer keep the law, okay? And so what's really interesting is the Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds. Uh, what happened is the Samaritans in about 726 BC, when the Northern kingdom of Israel, if you're not big on your Israeli Israel history, that's okay. But basically before the Romans were occupying them for a number of centuries, there was the Greeks, right? Alexander the great. Well, actually before him, it was the, one of the four generals, Right. Because the generals did it for quite a period of time. Uh, And they because then before them was Alexander the Great, because he didn't do it for very long. You know, he died pretty young, but he came through, conquered. Then the four generals uh, ran it for uh, there was I can't remember exactly a couple hundred years, I think, before the Romans came in. And then they conquered and took over everything prior to, though, the Alexander the Great and the Greeks doing it were the Babylonians, and prior to that were the Assyrians. And the Babylonians were the ones in, like, the Book of Daniel is about and all that kind of stuff. But prior to the Assyrians coming in, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, in other words, Israel split in two. Right. And they had two kings. Judea and... Uh, Judah and and Israel. Israel, yeah. Yeah, so they split in two. And the northern kingdom was conquered first by the Assyrians. And it was during that period that a lot of them were taken off to slavery. What happened is, uh, which is really a common thing to do, is a bunch of people stayed behind and they intermarried with the uh, Assyrians. And then they became known as the Samaritans. But the Samaritans, though, their Jewish side, uh, basically they traced it back to the the 12 tribes of Israel. And the three most important tribes to the Samaritans were, we're descendants of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Levi. Now, so they trace their heritage to the Levitical priesthood. Right. Okay. And so what they did is they built a temple on Mount, uh, I, I don't know if I pronounce it correctly, Gerizim. And uh, Mount Gerizim is the place where supposedly Moses got the Ten Commandments. Okay. And they said, we are the authentic 
Levitical priesthood, and our temple is a temple to worship God at Mount Gerizim. And of course, the Jews were like, no, we're the authentic Levitical priesthood, and we're supposed to worship at the temple built on by, you know, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And you get this flavor of, of the animosity there in the Gospel of John at, once again, the woman of the well. And she says, well, you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and we're, we say we're worshiping here in spirit and in truth. And he goes, and Jesus contradicts, says, well, there come a day when neither one of those when, matter. When matter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but the reason that why this temple worship is such a big deal is because what happened is the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple because they felt it was a desecration. Okay. All right. And then what happened is the Samaritans retaliated and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem by bringing in dead bones and scattering Mm. them around, which is like the ultimate desecration. Right. So these people not only were segregated, but they hated each other. Right. Tremendously. And Jews in particular, the, um, hated the Samaritans probably more than the Samaritans hated Jewish people. And so that's, what's really fascinating. So now you have these three characters, right? And not only do you just have three characters, but why is there a priest and a Levite, right? Now here's why is that in order to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. Right. But just because you're a Levite doesn't mean you're you're a a priest. priest. Yes. Right. But if you're a Levite and not a priest, guess what you were? You were a temple worker. So you were you either worked on the temple, you're a craftsman and you worked, you maintained the temple, you built the temple, or you played music and instruments in the temple. The temple so was your life. The temple was your life, right? And that, you know, so in a sense they were government employees that kept the capital suppose or the temple to them running and taken care of. It would be like if the White House was only entrusted to like one family to maintain yeah. and and work and take care of the grounds and do all the things that the White House, if that was generational from president to president, didn't matter who was in there. Those there people always took care of the White House. It would be yeah. a similar thing. That's similar God, thing to God that. had ordained their people to their particular line exactly. to take care of so the temple. So it's all about what? The temple. Yes. And what is the point of the temple? To worship God because that's where the presence of God is. Samaritans are saying, hey, it's over here on Mount Gerizim. But Jews say, no, we're going to burn your temple down. Mm. I mean, that's pretty brutal when that's you think about brutal. it. That's very brutal. And then the Samaritans say, oh, yeah, mm. well, we're going to come over. We're going to desecrate your temple. So what's interesting is that they both trace their heritage back to Aaron, who is the father of the Levitical priesthood, right? But because they had two separate strains, they're they're willing to kill each other over it. Mm. To, to, they're, they're desecrating the temple to God, worship of God. And so these people are temple people, right? right? And, and what happens is they're coming down. Now, a lot's been made that says, well, the reason why the Levite and the, the priest didn't help is because they didn't want to be unclean. Right, because right? blood, I mean, in his beating, he was probably bleeding, Yeah, which by helping or him. Or maybe dead. Yeah. I mean, they thought, they well, maybe he's dead. Be. And so approaching him and getting any kind of that on them would have made them unclean. And there's a whole ceremony you have to go through in order to do. Yeah. But the issue there is that this is not accurate. 
And the reason why is, number one is, it says that Jesus says they were coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So what happens is you had to be ritually clean to go up to the temple to perform your duties. All right. But now they're coming down. So they're done. And for the priest, they're done for the year. Right. So there's plenty of time to repurify if that was the case. But the law actually states that to stop and help a Jewish person that's in need or in trauma like that doesn't make you unclean, Mm. you see. And so what's fascinating about it is they could have stopped and helped and they would have used the law to say, I did what was right. Right. Or they don't have to help and they would use the law to say, well, I didn't want to be unclean. So in other words, the law could be used to justify you either decision. You could interpret it either way to make it justifiable. Yeah, yeah. To, okay. to, for whatever your decision is. So that's really not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that the Levites and the priests who were temple people saw a Jewish person and they chose not to help. The law didn't really bar them from that. And then the Samaritan, who had no legal obligation, no moral obligation, no ethical obligation to help, as a matter of fact, the Samaritan should do the opposite. You know, I mean, it'd make perfect sense to the people hearing the story that the Samaritan went over there and finished the guy off. Right. You know, that's what people might have expected, right? But it's really fascinating because right there in verse 33, it says, the Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Mm. And the Greek word for compassion here means moved in your gut. So it wasn't just a, oh, my goodness. It was that, oh, oh, my gosh. It was, I mean, just totally overwhelmed, you see. And so what does he do? He bandages up his rooms. He pours oil and wine on them, he, you know, which is a wine and disinfectant and the oil to kind of try to spur healing and keep it from uh, bugs and things getting inside of it. And so he puts him on his own beast. He brings him to an inn and he took care of him. And what's really fascinating is in the Old Testament, there's a reference that when you it says like you, to be a neighbor, Right. And people don't understand the golden rule that Jesus said, you know, love your neighbor Neighbor. as yourself, because that's a reference in the Old Testament that says those who are worthy of salvation are good neighbors. See, so you see this being carried throughout the scriptures. And here he says this, he goes, who is your neighbor? He says, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus says to him, look, you, you know, you're, who is the neighbor? So in, in the gospel of John, if we can zip up over to there, where Jesus speaks to the woman at well, we see how ingrained this hatred is between them so that they had come to the point where I don't consider them my neighbor, mm. right? But he says, your neighbor is not based on ethnicity, right? It's based on what? How you act in the moment he's moved by compassion. So it's really quite interesting that the whole point of the parable is addressing this hatred, right? Mm -hmm. Between these two races when referring to the Old Testament passage that says the neighbor, the good neighbor is worthy 
of blessing or salvation. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm really excited for Thursday's podcast because I think there's, while we don't have the same segregation ethnically anymore in America. Um, we do morally. Morally, politically, mm -hmm. things of that nature. There's lots going on. So I'm excited for you to speak into that. But just to kind of further look into the, what we're talking about as far as the Bible verses go, it's, I think, having that context is so important because again, if you just read that as a standard American, you're not going to know all that backstory of yeah. these people burned down each other's, like we're desecrating each other's temples and doing all, I mean, it's, it would be like someone coming and like, I don't know, burning a flag on the white house lawn, right? Like yeah. on the 4th of July, they would, well, just, it would be like breaking into the, you know, uh, the national archives and burning the constitution. Yeah. You know, if, if you were to burn a flag on the White House lawn, yeah, that's not good. You're not going to win any friends. But breaking into the National Archives and burning our Constitution, them's fighting words. Those are fighting words. And I think that's understanding that rivalry. It's the same thing that I sort of discovered while I was in Israel. If, you know, you hear the phrase peace in the Middle East and you're just like, oh, they're just having a spat over there, right? Yeah. But, you know, our guide really walked us through, okay, well, this happened and then these people did this to these people and this happened to this. And it's like, oh, it's not that simple. There's wrong going around on a lot of sides yeah. and everybody's acting real dumb yeah. because it's a sin issue and we're we're prone to, to making bad choices. And so it, which is a good point uh, dig into that real quick and that is a sin issue is that uh, the taint of sin the cancer of sin brought into the world by adam you know and is passed on to all of us uh because all of sin and fallen short of the glory of god what does the sin in us do when it comes what does it cause us to do let me phrase the question this way when we see people that are really different than us it causes us to consider them other, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the worst thing. And we see that even these in this, in this story of, well, Samaritans are others. They are not my neighbor. They're not worth saving or helping. Because, I have no yeah. obligation yeah, I have to no, them. Or in, and vice versa, right? They, the Samaritans probably thought the same thing about it. It's like, I have no obligation. They treat me as a foreign thing that has mm -hmm. no whatever. And so I'm not going to do anything to step out of my way. And this one man who in the story chooses to bypass all the garbage and say, you know, I'm committed to help. And, and what commit, what, what moved him to help? I mean, it's got to be a spirit thing, yeah. right? Like, I mean, but I mean, we didn't have Holy Spirit yeah. at that time because Jesus is still alive. But yeah. God and a a lessening of Himself, which is sin, and a, and a looking to what God has. So, what us overcomes to do. The, the so the natural inclination of sin in us causes us to keep distant, treat them as other. But the emotion that he experienced that overcome that and brought the best out of him was compassion. Right. And what exactly is compassion? I mean, it's feeling for, an, I, I don't have an, an Webster dictionary, but I mean, it's you feel and empathize and have care for someone that benefits you in no way. I mean, and you, and you understand yeah. and, you, and you feel for them, right? Yeah. Something so of that nature. Exactly. Well, put it this way is, um, you know, you've talked about this in the past, you know, about how your parents weren't together. Right? right. And that your father was absent. So you do a camp where you're the dean, right, of all of these. What is it? Fourth and fifth graders. Yep. OK. And at that. So you see a, a boy, right, a young boy that has 
you know, maybe some behavioral issues or some problems in the, that you, you've never met him before. But you said, Oh, I got to deal with this as the Dean. Right. Mm-hmm. And the person from the town that brought him says, well, you know, he's grown up without a father. Right. How does that impact you? I mean, I, I empathize and understand why he may be acting. You're out. moved to yes. compassion. Yes. Right. So isn't that interesting is that if we have experienced something we can, it, we're moved to compassion about that thing more than something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, how moved to, to compassion are you for a rugby player that gets put in a penalty box? Zero compassion. Because <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Right. No, maybe he deserved it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, right? I don't know the rules of rugby. I don't know maybe the, he was doing yeah. something back. I don't See, know. See, I have no experience. I don't know anything. You know, I don't know. I don't even know if he did something wrong. Maybe right. he had deserved it. I don't know. But when I've experienced that, right, uh, uh, something, and then you're moved to compassion, mm-hmm. right? You're moved to compassion. I think that's critical because you got to notice these things that Jesus is really doing. He's like I said, is that a lot of the parables, the lesson in the parable, and sometimes we miss this, is the contrast of the characters involved. We're supposed to look at the different characters and contrast them with one another. That's the brilliance of his teaching. Notice that at first, the priest and the Levite, when they passed by, they move to the other side, right? Now, that may be, it's like, well, I don't know if that person's dead or not, and I don't want to defy, or I could go help, but what happened is it was a fellow countryman, a fellow Jew, and it would be obvious because Jews were known by their haircut, the clothes they wore, right. all that. I mean, there was no question that person is Jewish. But what's fascinating is that the Samaritan had every reason not to help. He had every right not to help, but because he was moved by compassion, he that overcame those natural barriers, mm-hmm. right? And he ended up helping. And I, I think what's interesting is that when it comes to the, the implication of this parable, we'll talk about that in a second, but is that it's our... It's our compassion, right? And sometimes as followers of Christ, it's our redemption that helps us have compassion and move to our better selves, even against our greatest enemies. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, we we tap into something that we aren't capable of without salvation, of understanding there's other people that have been hurt just as bad as I am, where before yeah. you're really saved, I think it's really hard to see that forest through the trees, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're like, my life is so hard. I'm having all these things, all these things have happened to me. And it's really hard for you to empathize. I mean, you can, I'm not saying you can't, but it's like just on a real larger scale. I think there's an unlocking that happens when you, when Jesus comes in and, and renews you and you go, man, I could just see that that person probably just is having a rough time and I'm going to give them a little more grace because I've received grace and I'm going to give them a little bit more um, Mm -hmm. effort. I'm going to try to help get them through this because I know how hard it was for me when I did that. And so that kind of idea, which again, a lot of these current social movements try to tap into that emotion, but they're doing it in a way that's a little more manipulative rather than actually 
caring. They're using it to well, yeah, and when you're, rather than I, I like, I really like the way you phrased it. In that is, is that when you're a victim, you're focused on yourself. When you're, when that, this is the problem with feeling like a victim, being convinced you're a victim, thinking you're a victim. That mindset robs you of compassion. Mm. It robs you of what the thing that makes you more human than anything else the sentient part of your consciousness is called transcendence. And that's one unique thing about human beings is we have a capacity to say, I can walk in a mile in your shoes. I, I don't actually have to put it on, but I can see, and then I, I can almost transcendently put myself in your situation mm. and see how you would see it from your perspective. That right there is one of the most spiritually unique things about human beings and anything else is our capacity to go outside of ourselves, right? Mm. And see a situation from another person's perspective. I mean, that is a phenomenal capacity to do that. Yeah. What, just think what, the, what requires the brain to, it, to happen up here in order to do that. Mm. And so, well, that's why we are spiritual beings is that's one of the signs of this whole notion of sentience. And so I think that's what's so fascinating about it is that victimhood robs you of that. Right. The, thi the, the thing that makes you altruistically human is robbed because all you think about is, well, I'm, I'm an addicted. I, I can't have compassion for anybody else who's experienced the same thing because all I care about is my own hurt, mm. right? And I lash out. So the implications of this parable is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has no ethnic barriers. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 28, in verses 18, uh, 19, and 20, this is called the Great Commission. And this is in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus rose from the dead, and right before he ascended to heaven, his disciples came and surrounded him. He says, all authority on heaven and earth is now mine. Mm -hmm. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that phrase in the Greek is panta all, panta ta ethne. And ethne is the word we get ethnic from mm. today. So the Greek ethne was tra translated into Latin, and then that Latin became English ethnic today. And so what's fascinating about that is he's saying there's no ethnic barrier to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it also means that we as followers of Jesus, and this is what's I think really fascinating, we'll talk more about this on Thursday, is we're to have a social conscience. The role of being a transformed believer in Jesus Christ is that you have a social conscience. And what exactly does that mean? Well, I'm excited to be talking all about that with you on Thursday, Pastor. And thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure if you haven't, like we said last episode, we are starting to move towards the new Salty mm -hmm. Pastor YouTube channel. Um, if you're just listening in podcast format, nothing is changing for you. But if you enjoy seeing our smiling faces yes. as you listen to uh, the podcast, um, we do encourage you to be subscribing on the new Salty Pastor podcast YouTube channel so that you can stay keeping all of these episodes and, and being able to get them each and every week at the end of July, they will not be coming out on the foothills channel anymore. They'll be only on the salty pastor mm -hmm. channel. So make sure you get subscribed early so that you don't forget and miss this uh, episode by accident. So thank you guys so much. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the salty pastor podcast. Blessings. <laughs>